Welcome to Spread Talk with Pam and John, also known as The Calm Before the Storm. Our purpose is to elevate the conversation and amplify special education resources. And our why is all about the kids. You know, Pam, there are so many organizations and, and people around Texas who are just making it happen for kids with disabilities. So let's make this a platform to celebrate their efforts because special education is about making the impossible possible. All right, Pam, here we are down in Austin. We're going to go for round two. Exactly. So another episode of Sped Talk. That's right. So we're down here in beautiful Austin. The weather's gorgeous. We uh, have been over at the uh, American Institute for Research uh, doing our liaison work. This is our week to come together in Austin and really, you know, come together as a PLC, uh, statewide liaisons, and really make it happen for kids with disabilities and kind of dream up, uh, you know, how we might make things that much better. You know, we are excited today. We have uh, a guest host. It's really our first guest on Sped Talk. And so we decided if we're going to do if we're going to do this thing, we're going to go big. So, Pam, who do we have with us today? Well, today we have Dr. Justin Porter from the Texas Education Agency. As he smiles and said, just call me Justin. So we have him with us. Uh, we invited him because one thing is people see Justin or Dr. Porter. Okay, he says Justin at events like TKs or or somewhere else, and but we really don't know who is Justin Porter, and so we want to find more, find out more about him. We also want to find out what is his vision for special education in Texas. That's right, and so today we're going to spend a little time talking with Justin about those things and. Uh, Dr. Porter, uh, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Very excited to be here. Awesome. So, you know, as we get going, how long how long have you been with the Texas Education Agency now? So I have actually done two stints at TEA. I did okay. my first one around 2006, 2007 for a year, worked in the assessment division, and then had the good fortune to go and get some more experience at a local school district as director of curriculum instruction. Had a lot of work there with, uh, with special education, bilingual ESL programs, that sort of thing. And then really four years later, uh, my former boss's boss at TEA tapped me on the shoulder and said, your old boss retired, do you want her job? And so I came back to, uh, to TEA and worked in the assessment division for another few years working with assessments for special populations. So special ed, assessments for special ed students, um, uh, English learners, that sort of thing. Yeah, I can remember attending as a special ed director and before that a counselor, a lot of the uh, accountability update, uh, you know, the testing update, different things like that. And I remember, I think that was my first contact with yourself was kind of watching the webinars and coming to the trainings and kind of seeing you wear that hat for a while. Right. Yeah, for for I was known as the guy that got rid of Star Modified for a long time, which Woo! is not yeah, not <laughs> that, a bad, not a good thing. Well, it got me not a good name to have. It got me yeah. a lot of it got me a lot of bad press. But yeah. I think when we look at that, you know, hindsight's always 20, 2020. When we look back at student performance on the Star Test yeah. over the years, it that was definitely a good thing for kids in Texas. It it definitely drove expectations for kids and was a real painful switch for adults and kids involved. Both I know that I get that. But I think at the end of the day, we're doing more things for kids than we would have been otherwise, which is a good thing. Well, I would agree with you. So moving from state assessment to special education. So what has been the biggest challenge? 
the biggest challenge, well, the, the work is, uh, the, the work itself, the day-to-day is completely different. The, the, the assessment work is all about uh, publication and creating, creating tests and making sure that they're psychometrically uh, in line. And psycho- psychometrician is a word my first day on the job about eight years ago. I had to look that word up in the dictionary because people kept throwing it around. I had no idea what it was, but yeah. uh, <laughs> spent a lot of time um, actually in the publication world, working with publishers and all that, which was really eye-opening for me. But it was a couple of steps away, further away from instruction than where I wanted to be. And so when the opportunity came up to move over into special ed and special populations on the program side, I jumped on it. That was really truly where my heart is. Uh, having a deep understanding of how the test is built, I think it does nothing but serve me well. But really in, in the administration of the test, too, and how accommodations are applied, all of that just, just works right in with my role now. But um, I'm, I'm much more close to where my soul is, and that's in instruction in kids and classrooms right now. So Yeah, that's really, that's where the rubber hits the road. Mm-hmm. Okay, so looking, I'm just going to ask questions sure, now, because I'm course. just curious. Yeah. Okay, so, so thinking about what you previously said about how moving into the STAR test and doing away with the STAR-EM, and realizing that students receiving special education services are really not faring well on the STAR assessment. As you know, when you look at it from the standpoint of, you know, in the past, you know, with the tax, we saw mm-hmm. that growth. Right. But right now the growth is, is minimal, I mean, it's minimal or, or slow. You do you think? Yeah, so I, th- I think, um, I think there is a, a, a big, um, a, a big analogy to draw between between students served by special education and students in the, in the general ed program with STAR because we haven't seen the growth in the general ed program okay. either. Well, I, what I will say is in the years since uh, STAR modified went away, uh, in the, that first year of administration where all of our students served by special education were uh, were just thrown into into the STAR test, and we, we did as much as we could for them, but they were thrown into that STAR test. We had uh, passing rates in the 20s for students in special ed, right? Um, Now our passing rates are in the 40s for students in special ed. So we've seen significant growth, um, and I think that's in no small part. uh, Well, it's 100% because of the work that's happening in in schools, obviously, but in in no small part to the the change in expectations for kids. Um, If we don't expect kids to do do on-grade level work, there's no way. That's the one sure way to guarantee they never will is don't expect them to. And so we raise that level of expectation for kid expectation for kiddos, um, you know. And, and I hear from folks all the time. There are some students that you know they're not they're not low enough, quote unquote, to be uh, to be appropriately assessed with the with the alternate test. But they're just never going to pass that dang star test. And yeah. I said, well, I, my answer to that is they might not ever pass the test. And, yeah. and but are we going to see growth from year to year? That's are you right. able to look and see how much? how much more he can do this year than he could last year. That's what we need to be focused mm-hmm. on is that growth and the growth measures within the test uh, to, to see how kids are doing that. Passing the test is really that for some students is, is an arbitrary mark in the yeah. sand. It matters to adults because of school accountability. And I totally get that. But as, as school leaders, it's our job to focus parents and students on growth rather than on this. Did you meet this bar or not yeah. um, for kids? Some kids are going to get to that bar. Some kids are on a trajectory to get to that bar in a couple of years. Some kids are probably on a trajectory to not make it to that bar at some yeah. point. We know that. But focusing them on the growth they're making every single year is really where we need to be to keep things rolling and to keep folks motivated to, to reach for it every year and keep those expectations high for them. Yeah, you know, I agree with that, Justin. I think that when you consider the the uh, standards, if you will, that we have the expectations for kids, whether they be students with special needs, whether they be general ed students, 
you know, having those high expectations, we have the framework for that, right? We have our state standards, we have the TEKS, and we have the vertical alignment. We have the pieces now in place that, quite frankly, for many years, we did not have. You know, there was a lot of, lot of time in, in, in my, that I spent as a director before that as a counselor and then a teacher where it, I felt like we were being called on to do certain things, but we really lacked the resources sure. we needed to be able to implement, to be able to put that to action. And I think, you know, the thing that I like to see is that now we're not just talking about raising the expectations. We now have the resources in many instances to actually turn that into action. Yes, sir. So, and I, I think all of that, when you really look at the transition from the modified to the general star, you know, and then even when I go out and work with schools in Region 12, I talk to them a lot about making sure that student is on the right test for that student, right? And that just doesn't mean the alt versus the, 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 the regular star, but, you know, the accommodations, the suite of resources that right. are built into it, you know, how, how, how well are our adults implementing those um, resources in the classroom daily, those practices so the kids, and then allowing and preparing kids to have access to those on the STAR test, on the day of the test. And so, you know, uh, I'll, I'll quote somebody that I, I that presented at Region 12 a couple of years ago. His name is John Wink, and he talked a lot about how uh, we need to replace the P word, right, the password mm -hmm. with progress. Because, And this was, he was kind of talking about the, where this accountability system is going. He was talking about from a superintendent's perspective about how do we keep our districts from slipping and staying ahead of, uh, you know, the progress that's right, going on and sure. really the accountability system. And his whole point was that it's no longer about passing a test. It's about every child making progress within yep. their potential and how, how are we either uh, lending uh, our efforts to that or are we inhibiting that through our actions? Sure. So, sure. Absolutely. So, what you're saying and what John is saying is that we really should be looking at looking from a growth mindset. Absolutely. That it's not about the P word right. passing. It's really about our students making progress yeah. and being able to communicate that progress to the parents and also to the students who, who are, you know, who are struggling, especially if they're taking the test more than one time, one administration, you know, more than like several administration. And they're like, why am I doing this when I'm not? able to pass right yeah yeah, yeah. The, the the notion that that there's too many high expectations or high stakes is a better word uh, for students at the student level on, on passing or failing that test like we need to keep in mind that in most cases uh, the IEP team or our committee determines whether or not those are appropriate expectations for that individual student and so um, <clears throat> you know that that shouldn't get in the way of us uh, holding the students to as high of an expectation as, as, as we possibly can. Uh, you know, to, to move them forward, just because, like I said before, the surest way to to ensure kids not going to do well is to not expect much from them. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, you know, we could talk and talk and talk about, you know, education, and I imagine we'll get back to some of that. Justin, I wanted to ask you a question, and this may seem silly or, or you know, what's the point of it, but I think it is important. Just hang on, really Justin. Get to know. Oh, Man, Justin Porter, like, so can you, would you share something just off the cusp, something that you are passionate about outside of education, something that you enjoy doing, something that, that I don't know, that you just find joy in that, that outside there, of education? There are there are a few things. Um, I, I, as all of us do, everybody in education, I don't know anybody that, that's dedicated to education and works 40 hours a week. We all work way more than that. But whenever I do get a chance, I, I really enjoy international travel. Um, and I'm not a five-star resort guy. I'm a camp in the middle of the western desert in Egypt um, in the, on top of a sand dune and listen to the jackals howl and see the, see the stars, that kind of thing. 
Um, I've done that a couple times. I've been to um, Tanzania. I've been to Kenya. Took my nephew to New Zealand last year. Just, you know, and do all this um, on a really thin budget and just, you know, just make it work. Uh, but um, that's definitely something I'm passionate about. And if you have ever seen me and seen my profile, um, you know that I'm passionate about food. I love to cook. Mm -hmm. I, love to, I love to have folks over and barbecue and sit on the back porch and pick guitars and hang out and that kind of stuff like anybody else, I guess. But, Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So my question for you, which is not a personal, I guess it is a personal question, is uh, as a lifelong special ed teacher, <laughs> educator, what is your vision for special education in Texas? So really, it all comes back to, for me, it comes back to, first of all, finding every kid that we need to find. Like, there, there should not be a barrier to participation in special education if a student um, needs those services and has that disability. We just, we just need to do whatever we can, <clears throat> excuse me, to make sure that there are no barriers to participation in the program if you, if you are eligible for it. And so uh, I, I see just anecdotally talking to districts across the state and talking with the liaisons and other folks uh, at the ESCs and even even uh, folks, our friends in the advocacy community, um, we are seeing a change in child finding the way we operate in the state of Texas. And that's encouraging to me. But that's the number one. We have five kids. Mm -hmm. And then uh, and making sure that we are we are serving them um, in, in the absolute best way possible for that student with the goal of having the highest expectations that are. The, and, and some people. Uh, want me to caveat that with saying that are reasonable for that student, and and I don't. It's just high expectations. Expect those kids to to hit the stars, and, and then and then champion them when they hit the moon. I mean, get have those high expectations for students. Provide um, districts and and charter schools and, and teachers with the resources that they need, the the um, the technical assistance that they need to make sure to make it happen, removing barriers. So for me, it's all about finding the kids and then and then teaching them, just yeah. teaching them. You know. Yeah. And making sure that they learn. Okay. Do you, um, would you elaborate a little bit on your thoughts regarding this liaison project? I know you've been integral in the work that we've been involved in, but also kind of the evolution of our roles over the past few years. We did something kind of, uh, kind of unique here in Texas with the liaison roles. We have. And, and so Texas does a lot of things that other states would call unique just because of, just because of our size. That's because we're Texas. And we're Texas, first of all. First and <laughs> foremost, we do things how we want here in Texas. And, uh, and it's the right way. But um, <laughs> we, uh, you know, with uh, trying to get the most out of, well, let me back up just a little bit. For years and years, TEA was very much a regulatory agency. Right. We very much yeah. just regulated things. We did not provide much leadership or guidance to LEAs. We have, we have 1,207 um, <clears throat> independent school districts in Texas, independent local education agencies in Texas, who, who, we, who we don't have as much authority to tell what to do as they do in other states. And I think that's great. I think that's great for our kids that we have independent um, local education agencies. That's local control. I, I'm a firm believer in it. But at the same time, the state holds some responsibility there to support yeah. and to lead and to provide guidance and make sure that um, our kids are getting, getting exactly what they deserve and what they should have access to. And so uh, the the way that we do that, and one of the ways that that we've changed over the last, and this has been in, in Commissioner Morath's tenure, that that this change in the agency has really come about, 
is that we start to provide more guidance and support to LEAs without without being the thou shalt you have to, mm-hmm. but like more more things around what are what are best practices? How are we going to organize our supports around these best practices? And what does TEA recommend that you do? That with that space that we're stepping into where we haven't been in the past as mm-hmm. much. And so I say all that to say with Texas as big as we are, both population wise and geographically, we can't, TEA can't do that without leveraging the educational service centers, mm-hmm. regional service centers. They're integral to making making wide sweeping changes across the state when it comes to education with regard to how LEAs are supported and ultimately how students are served in classrooms. And so there's um, we have worked very closely with ESCs. The special ed team has had um, a really great relationship with the with the regional ESC uh, directors for years. Um, but sort of, there was always sort of this missing sort of step of how do we have not just giving information to the ESC so that they can then pass it out, but how do we create this relationship mm-hmm. at a higher level where folks who are not necessarily um, at the at the at the director type level, but folks who are more boots on the ground yeah. can can develop those strong relationships with the technical assistance providers that we've we've employed at TEA to help get that information out to districts in a way that um, is most accessible to the districts. But also, how can they be want be part of that feedback loop that helps TEA understand better the needs of of the LEAs and of of what's happening out there in the, in the districts and the charters or what's going on on campuses? Um, because we we do um, stakeholder engagement is a huge piece of the work that we do, but it's it's a little bit different to hear from somebody on a survey or in a focus group than it is to be that liaison who's working with that district on a regular basis and who those teachers see on the campus all the time. There's just a different level of trust and you get a different sort of perspective that you can then bring back to us. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I agree with that. I'm super excited about the liaison project. And I think it, it has gone through some iteration, a lot of, you know, anything that's brand new that just pops out like yeah. this, there, there was planning and, but I'll tell you that we have, we went, uh, pretty far away from where our, our initial vision with it was, and we're getting right back to where we thought we were going to be now with this project. And I think now we've, we've ironed out some wrinkles, and I think we're ready to really rock and roll going forward. Yeah, it's been interesting watching um, uh, some of my colleagues, Pam, uh, just many of the colleagues that I work with here in Austin coming down uh, for our liaison PLCs, sharing uh, you know a lot of the good things that are going on as a result of the work we're doing. But not just that, it's, it's the connections I think we're making around the state um, and so I know a lot of people are still unfamiliar with the role of the special ed liaison across Texas. I think they'll become more familiar with it in the years to come. And I think really fruit will be born from that. But, um, you know, I, let me ask you a question. This is just just kind of going off of what you alluded to earlier, is that TEA is trying to be you know, that regulatory space you have to be in. Sure, right. Have to. You're going to own that. That's that's the, yep, you're a state agency. Sure. You must do that. But it sounds like, and I think you even used the word support a few minutes ago, it sounds like really the goal is how might we then follow up and provide those supports? Absolutely. Like, or how do we provide the supports on the front end so yeah. that when the monitoring regulation comes in, there's 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 not there's not things to find. That's the goal, right? Yeah. If we're providing this guidance and support on the front end and LEAs know, uh, not just know what it is they need to be doing, but have the supports to make it happen um, and have somebody that has their back to help them remove barriers and help, help things get put into place, um, I think that that diminishes the need on the back end for more regulation and more monitoring. That's the goal for everybody, right? Sure. So I have one question, just kind of kind of summing it up in my own head, mm-hmm. is that looking at your child, what you said about child fine and making sure we're, we are serving kids, all kids that need services, all students, children that need services, as a parent who have struggled with getting services in the state, what would you say to that parent today? 
Well, so I, I, I talk to parents who've had that trouble all the time. We hear, we hear from them through lots of different venues and I, and I have several that I engage with regularly. And I think really um, <clears throat> the, the, the best thing that they can do is, is engage with whatever entities exist in their community to help educate them about what their rights are and how to ask for them yeah. and how to meaningfully engage in conversations with the school. Um, and that's, I'm not putting it on the parents, but, but if they, but that is definitely the, what I say to them is that you have to, you have to be able to be prepared to engage meaningfully. Meaning you have to do your homework. You have to fit, you have to, you have to do, and it, you know, you as yourself, if um, as an educator, I've talked to plenty of educators who've had the same problem and they know the system and they know all that. So, I mean, it's not just that simple, but on the back end of it, <clears throat> I think a big focus in our strategic plan is on helping LEAs to meet to more uh, meaningfully engage with parents. Yeah. And so, I mean, I've been uh, in my role going way back as a bilingual teacher was very often asked to come in and translate an art at the last minute where I hadn't seen the paperwork. I didn't know the parent. I didn't know the kid. And people think it's easy to translate. It's not if you don't have that context. Right. Sure. And, and I'm not an interpreter. Right. I just I just happen to be bilingual. I'm interpreting. <laughs> interpreting is actually a, a, a real thing. And I don't know how to do that. So, but would often do that at art meetings and I would walk in and I would see this one mom who obviously was in a work uniform, had left work to come to this art meeting. Yeah. Um, she is, she, there's the only other person in the room that speaks a language she can understand is me who she's never met. Yeah. And then, and, and may even be a stranger to the district and that came in very, to support very, how, exactly, how that may exactly. be. Exactly. And then committee. there are six or seven, um, uh, school personnel who likely don't look like her, who likely don't understand yeah. her background and her, certainly don't speak her language. Yeah. And, and the, the language, the level of the English is so high that it's hard for me to even get it into Spanish in a way that she's going to understand it. Yeah. And then back and forth. And it, it just, there's, there's no way that she walks out of there not feeling like she's just been railroaded and assigned, railroaded and assigned her life away, right? Yeah. Right. That, and, how, and so that's an extreme example because there's a language barrier there. But the language barrier exists for lots of folks, even if English is their first language, right? Yeah. And because right. we speak in, in just there, there's there's so much that can be done to help a parent engage meaningfully, but we are always rushed for time yeah. and with the best of intentions, wanting to get through stuff and just wanting to get it done. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, people feel rushed and people don't feel like we've engaged with them. And this is their kid. This is their child. You know, this yeah. is, this is the thing they care about most in the world. And, and for those, um, for those engagement opportunities like that to be, to be rushed through or passed over. Yeah. And, and I'm not, there's plenty of people that do this really, really well. I'm Absolutely. not, I'm not yeah. disparaging right. at all, but, I, but all of us, all of us who have been, all of us who have been in, in those positions, know we, you've seen it. We've, yeah. Everybody who's been in special ed has seen that happen to a parent once on one, one way or another. Yeah. Um, and, and so helping districts to really recognize that and how much better off they will be by putting some time into the, into the process and training folks up and making sure that the process yeah. is really engaging for parents and that parents are able to yeah. engage meaningfully in that process, pointing them towards resources, making sure they walk in, able to walk out, having feel like they've been part of the discussion and made an educated decision about something. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that, Justin. I mean, I think you're describing really like kind of this idea of having critical moments with people really. And you're talking about how, you know, when, when, when a parent enters an ARD meeting and, you know, you have those opportunities to connect regardless of the language barriers, regardless of, and I think a lot of people do. I mean, I think that we've got wonderful educators across the state that are engaging families yeah, and that are just sure. doing great Absolutely. work. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, but there's still always a barrier when you have an individual like myself as a parent going in for a conference for my kids, coming in even to a district that I've worked in, but coming in as the parent with that hat on you know, there's that sense of responsibility, the expectation that my child be doing what they're supposed to be doing, that sense of 
right. you know, and then needing answers to questions I may or may not know how to ask sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think a lot of times it's just it's difficult when you have systems in place, which schools are systems um, that and, and, you know, and, and, and without even being political or anything, there's just there's all kinds of noise out there. Right. Yeah. So it's how do we all just kind of manage, uh, navigate, help meet each other's needs in a way that everyone feels heard and listened to. And then from that, we come up with a plan that's best for the child. Yeah. Um, and so it sounds real easy. So, <laughs> it sounds easy. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. it gets a little more complicated than that. Yeah. You know, going back, and Justin probably doesn't know this, but the first parent survey that was done from the agencies was, was in 2003, mm-hmm. which in my former life, I was over the, uh, the parent network. I was teaching third grade in Pasadena. Sure. We didn't ask that question. <laughs> and so the question. I had hair on my head. Oh, oh yeah. So why did I bring I this up? <laughs> you went there, Pam. Well, I went there. I went there. But the issue was, that was the first survey because the agency didn't have any information. Yeah, the data. The data was missing. Yeah. And one thing that survey revealed, it wasn't 2003, it was 2013. I'm, I'm off. Oh, okay. No, it was 2003. It was three. It was three. It, was three. it, it, was three. it probably was three. It was three. It was three. It was three, come think about it. Yeah. And, but from that survey, the information that came out, what parents said was they didn't feel valued or honored. And that what they wanted to feel when they went into the art meeting was that schools cared about their kids and that they cared about them and that they valued their opinions and that they just want to feel some level of respect. Yeah. And that's going back, yes, to 2003. Right. Yeah. And so, I, you know, I think we're st- still fighting that battle. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's got, it's got, I think it has less to do with do we, do do schools care about kids? Do schools care about parents? Yeah, of course they do. They right. absolutely do, right? Yeah. But there's just, um, there's just a method, a method to, to engage with families uh, that makes them walk out of there really knowing that, right? Because yeah. right. folks in, on campuses, I know that they're busy. I know that that poor assistant principal who also, as one of her assigned duties, is in charge of special ed has to be at every art meeting. Yeah. You know, that's just one thing she's got to worry about all day long. Yeah. And and everybody's got to just get through this. They've got lots of work to do. And it's hard and it's easy to lose sight of um, making sure that people feel how we need them to feel when they walk out of there. Because because you can, when you every time you engage with a parent, you have a chance to either make, um, an advocate or an adversary every single time, and if you and if uh, and if you are able to to make an advocate out of that parent, yeah. it, the word's going to spread, and the, and you know that's yeah. that's what we want, right? Yeah, everyone has emotions, everyone has an ego, everyone has For needs, sure. you know. And I think that uh, you know, I feel like at the ESCs, the better we take care of our schools, and the better we take care of. Uh, you know, the staff that we support and just all the wonderful educators that are out there, the more capacity they have then to turn and do the same. And I, and I think any system is that way, right? We depend on, just like the ESCs and the LEAs depend on um, TEA really for guidance and support and and that, those relationships, you know, because it's, while ESCs are not regulatory, you know, we, a lot of information funnels through the Absolutely. ESCs in a state the size of Texas. And yep. so, and, and, and ESCs do an amazing job of that. I think now just being challenged, just like schools are, to go that next step to really strengthen those relationships, to follow up on impact. Mm-hmm. You know, all of those things that, you know, how are we moving the needle for kids um, is a conversation that's not just going on at TEA, right? This right. is happening in my own child's third grade class when she comes home and says, Dad, 
I, I, I'm two more points right on my assessment and I'm going to be able, I'm going to be at meets or I'm going to be at masters, you know, and because uh-huh. I, I, I have young children that are still in the system, you know, and to me, you know, it's so easy to get caught up on. I wish we didn't have a test. I wish it tested what it was supposed to. I wish we didn't. Right. We're talking about educating kids and having standards. And if you do what's right by kids every single day and you provide high quality instruction for all the kids in your system, you're going to get out good outcomes, right? right? I mean, that's what it comes down to. Yep. You know, maybe we're making it too complicated. So, um, on that, Pam's giving me the hand. She's yeah. waving me like, John, you're rambling. You're spooling again. So, so remember. Uh, but uh, anyway, Pam. Okay. I think I think we're going to wrap this up. All right. Well, thank you all so much. Thank for you for coming in, Justin. My pleasure. Anytime. Okay. I, I look forward to having you back, thank Justin. You. I hope that we can sit down and talk again in the future. You know, if, if we get uh, the opportunity to, I think it'd be awesome to have you back in and, and allow people to kind of hear your vision mm-hmm. and how the work's come along. Just let me know. Okay. Thank you so much. Awesome. To continue to elevate the conversation, hit us up on Twitter at SpedTalk2020, where you can find links to all of our episodes and each of the resources that we discussed today. John, also links to the resources will be available at our podcast site. And if you found these resources helpful, be sure to share them with, with a friend because information should always flow through us, not to us. That will do it. For this episode of Spat Talk. And remember, courage creates culture and kindness keeps us connected. Until the next time, I'm Pam. And I've been John. And this is Spat Talk. Living in the moment and the moment is the future.